Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord, once again. In the name of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. This morning, as we come, I pray, Lord, everyone listening, choose to encourage themselves in the Lord for he is faithful touch your people Lord everywhere Lord comfort comfort so grieving kids, wife, children grieving touch them Lord protect the others there be an opening of eyes, O Lord, light of what's all happening around, seen and unseen. Let your children heed what you said, come out of her and save yourself. As we look into your word, we believe your word will continue speaking to us, preparing us. We thank you, Lord. You left us with all the warnings and the revelation and your spirit that we are not alone in this. We just thank you, Father. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Go to Revelation 3 and verses 7 to 10. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And we are living in practically in those days and uh, therefore we need that promise the promise that is not given to any of the other six churches but we begin with the fourfold introduction of Jesus we saw that we'll recap quickly he is the holy one absolutely distinctive and set apart from the rest of creation the creator's holiness is different from the holiness of even the angels that never fell. Second, he's the one who is true. In Numbers 23, 19, many, many months ago, we looked at that. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a man, son of man, that he should change, repent, change. Has he said, and will he not do, or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? <clears throat> 
he is true he cannot lie he doesn't change he doesn't have to change he's always the same and he is absolutely trustworthy if he has spoken will he not make it good for that one statement he who is true this is the most apt scripture numbers 23:19 who is he and then he has the key of david we saw from from hezekiah's time like and what it means he has the key always denotes both access and authority and then in verse 4 he says he's the one who opens and sorry in seven, fourth one he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens which means he is sovereign absolutely even when we are seeing all these things happening and things are really really bad really really bad okay and uh, this could if be the actual thing which church has been waiting for 2000 years the beginning of the end please remember this it is pointless hearing the warnings if you don't heed the warnings he is sovereign no one can shut what he open that what he shuts or open what he shuts so in the midst of it god wants us to know this church called philadelphia and to the churches of all time remember i am sovereign in everything that is happening it's neither israel nor us nor iran or russia it's none of them who are in control it's christ who is in control and then he says especially because the end of everything in all these conflicts that are happening at the individual level you will see there is an end to everyone that is called death that is called death but he says even that you don't have to worry about it because i am in control the keys of death and where you go is in my hands i determine both when you die how you die where you die and where you go after death so he's sovereign and that sovereignty of that should comfort his children and then he says i know your works interesting nothing is listed nothing is listed okay so we saw that in context to something else but romans 13 verse 8 and verse 10 and galatians 5:14 oh no one anything except to love one another for he who loves another has fulfilled the law love does not does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law in galatians 5:14 says the same thing okay for all the law all the law is fulfilled in one word even in this when it uses one word it doesn't mean one word it means one scripture okay even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself so we saw in galatians 5 6 also the only thing that matters is faith working through love that is why it is not listed because this is a church who has actually fulfilled the law actually fulfilled the law that command which he gave this church has fulfilled therefore god says to them i have an open door for you have an open door for you going back to revelation 
Okay. I know your works and see, I have set before you an open door. You have to put it together. Okay. What is the works that he sees that God opens doors for them that no one can shut? Okay. We can see that, that the only work is faith that works through love. It's not faith alone. And it's not love alone. It's faith that works through. So he says, I see your works. See, I have. Then he uses that word see, which is important because sometimes we don't see. We don't see the opportunity God has opened up before us. We don't see. So he says, see, look, because we may be caught in our reality like, you know, that you have very little strength and therefore we don't see. We don't see. Instead, he says, you know, see, I have set before you an open door and a door that no one can shut. Then he tells his perspective about them. For you have a little strength. You have a little strength. Have kept my word and have not denied my name. Looked at that too. But let's come back. Open door. Acts chapter 14 and verse 27. Acts 14 and 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Okay, that's the thing. That's how you are saved. Okay, repent and turn to God in faith. And he said, but that door has to be opened by God. So Paul they will report that God has opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, Apostle Paul again, he will talk about Ephesus. Okay, For a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Okay, So we need to realize and honestly when you look at, we look at our history of 15 years, this has been true. God has opened an unbelievably great and effective door for us. And there are many adversaries. Still this morning, it's continuing. Many, many adversaries. And it is not a laughing matter. But things are very serious. Very, very serious. Okay. There are things which I cannot speak online. But things are very, very serious. That's what I said. Our warnings, we have to take it very seriously. Things could go just out of control. In Second Corinthians chapter two and verse twelve to twelve. Second Corinthians two twelve. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. Okay, everywhere you will see it's God who does it. And if God doesn't do it, it doesn't matter. Sometimes the question of opening is got to do with time with time. Okay, like Joseph tried to open a door before time and God closed it and kept it shut for two years. But his wanting to get out was not wrong. That was God's plan for him. But the timing was wrong. And then when the time came in, without anybody doing anything, God just supernaturally opened the door and he was out. Okay, so here it is God. And in Colossians 4.3 
Okay, again, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am again. He says. So we need to pray for open doors. We see three testimonies in three different letters about God opening doors. In Colossians, he is saying that we need to keep on asking God to open doors. Okay, we have to see this also in the context of verse 10, Revelation 3.10. Different context we have to look at it. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. So we need an open door here too. We need an open door here too. In Matthew 24 and verse 14, okay, 24 and verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Okay, end will come. Before the end comes, something has to happen. The witness has to go. The witness of Christ has to go. But it will be unbelievably terrible times. And when these terrible times come in, what we need to realize is, go to Revelation chapter 9 and verse 5 and 6. They were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And this, their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. So God is talking about something. Okay, something about here in these last days, what will happen. Things will become so bad that people will want to die, but they cannot die. But if you come to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13 about saints, this is what is written, 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So in the same scenario, there are two kinds of people. There are people who are dying and they're called blessed. And there are people who want to die and they cannot die. So we, unless we see through the eyes of God, through the eyes of scripture, we will think death as a defeat. But death for many is not a defeat. Like if you look at Noah's time, we know Noah's time. We know when he got into the ark, by the time he got into the ark, there were only eight people who got into the ark. But what we do not know is that before he got into the ark, there were many who died, including Methuselah. And they were blessed. They were blessed. They were not judged. But death for them was a judgment where they escaped. So we have to see scripture very, very carefully because we always, because we are still caught in the template of this temporal world where we see uh, death as loss. Death is not always a loss. Many of God's saints have God has kept an open door for them that they escaped through that door without having to go through what others who did not go through the door had to suffer. Had to suffer. 
So death is, unless we see, because unless we see Jesus has conquered death, and like Paul says, for me to live or die is gain, we will not be able to see. So the open door does not automatically mean God protects you from everything and you stay alive on earth. The whole question is, why do you want to stay alive on earth? If your work is over, why do you want to stay over here? Why do you want to stay over here? So we have to first and foremost, we have to see death differently because the end of human life is death. And in all cultures and all religions, except few people who live by faith, death is seen as something you don't want come near you. You don't want it come to near you. You see it as a defeat. But the Bible says, no, it is not defeat. Death is actually victory. It's a victory. Okay, it's actually, let's think about, I mean, put it in a practical terms example. Think about somebody who's running a race. And it's, let us say, it's a hundred meter dash. And he, and he crosses the line. Okay. And the question is, after he crosses the line, if he keeps on running, what will he get? Nothing. Nothing, right? Because the whole, un- the whole motivation was that he should cross the line. And if he can, cross the line first. Okay, cross it. Now we need to realize when saints have crossed their line, they need to go. They need to go. This is not old covenant where there was no point in going. This is new covenant where absent in the body is present with the Lord. In the other case, they had to wait until Jesus came and then took captivity captive up. So we have to look at death carefully and seriously as how God is this death victory or failure. Okay, victory. Like the rich man probably didn't realize his death was loss. The poor man, when he died, realized his death was gain. Okay, death was gain. If you go to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 10 and then verse 13. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So what is saying? There is another, there are different doors. There are different doors. In this case, these five virgins were wise. Because they were wise, and because they were watchful, they experienced an open door. But the other five who almost seemed like the uh, the ones who went in, but they were not watchful about one thing. One thing. And what happened was that they experienced a shut door. They experienced a shut door. And God is saying, be careful. Be careful about this. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 25. 13 and 25. Once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and he began to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Okay? For every stage of life, there are time given. Okay, about Esau, the Bible says, even though he repented with tears, he could not bring a change of heart. Okay, now this is not talking about Esau, about being unsaved, we do not know. But it is talking about being very casual about the things of God in this life, and then the season passes. Okay, Esau 
was not uh, if you read scripture carefully he was just a godless man he was not a ungo- he was not a ungodly man ungodly is one thing godless is another thing ungodly means you are walking in the things which god said you should not walk in godless means you are not interested in god at all and you may not necessarily walk in the things which god said don't do so esau is a type of an godless man godless man and there are a lot of people like that in every church they come to church but they are basically godless god does not determine their day to day decisions or actions they are not ungodly get it right they are not ungodly they are not sinning in this way and that way and they are not but they are basically godless god comes into their life only on a sunday morning and that too at their own timing they are not interested in worship they may walk in and out during the word they may stay or may not stay for them but they will attend okay so they are not ungodly but if you go to their lives they work hard they don't lie they don't cheat okay but they are basically godless people and that's what god is talking about here he shut the door the door was over the door was shut the opportunity was over okay so in matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14 god will tell us to strive right he will say enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life there are very few who find it now there is a gate there there's a door there okay there's a door there so there are open doors to everything there's an open door to salvation and you don't know how long that door will be open how long and i have heard testimonies of pastors talking about people to whom they ministered and uh, uh they were casual and all and then a later point in time they meet them and they are sorrowful but they are not able to repent they are not able to change and they realize that they the door has been closed for them it's over the door has been closed for them okay while they were living the door was closed for them okay so god is talking about there is a door to salvation and he says when the time this is the time when it is today don't harden your heart not tomorrow today 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 he says okay so you see the picture in the book of exodus uh, pharaoh was given that choice to open the door and let the people go i mean if you had just listened after the couple of signs and listened and said okay their god seems to be god more powerful than our god so their god is god and we respect god so let them go again history would have been different cuz egypt would have, would have been a very prominent power in the ancient world they would not have been destroyed literally the back was broken in the red sea but he didn't open that door and let them go so after that you will see god shut the door now even if he wants to let them go he's not able to let them go because god shut the door because now after a couple of instances the bible says god hardened his heart god hardened his heart and i do believe the same thing is still happening now with world leaders that many of them honestly have no clue why are they making these decisions and it is supernatural it's got nothing to do with them it's not what here because god is sovereign god says i gave you time now my history will come to pass 
and I'm going to allow things to move because there is a set of people on earth who are everyday crying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And I want to hear their cry. They are not interested in Babylon. They are not interested in any of these things. They are solely sold out to me. And therefore, I'm going to answer their cry. And before I can answer their cry, I have said certain things have to happen. And people, leaders, like, let us look at Hamas. In which world does Hamas think they can win over Israel? They cannot. So then why did they do that? Because they are not in control. Which way does think Hezbollah think they can win? They cannot. Which way does Iran think they can? But why are these people doing these things? Because they are not even be able to think rationally. They are not able to think right. Let us be honest about it. About the Middle East. Okay, there is Saudi Arabia, there is Iran, there is Iraq, all this Egypt, all these Muslim nations are there. But none of these nations except Turkey has nuclear weapons. But Turkey's nuclear weapons is under NATO. Well, there is Israel and there is these American forces all around, all with nukes. So how do you expect to win over them? So you cannot win. But you have no control over what the decisions you yourself are making. Making. Because that, that is what Jesus means. I am sovereign. I am sovereign. Absolutely sovereign about how history is playing out exactly as he has willed. It is not in the hands of men. Okay, So he says to all of us, I give you a, says, a certain period of time, I give you, first to enter through the road door of faith into the kingdom of God. Then I give you a season to keep growing. And after that, the season is over. Season is over. He says, I kept on telling you, okay, you got in, but you are not interested to further go up. I have been telling you, telling you, telling you, telling you, telling you, you are not interested. So it is not that these doors are kept open all the time. Okay, open time. And we go through scripture, we will understand to this church, what does he mean? Wow, I've kept an open door for you. And then he begins with his address saying, the door that I open, no man can shut. And if I shut a door, nothing you do can make it open. Okay, so, so this is a church which was prepared and ready, both for their ministry on earth and also to go. They were ready for both. Okay, They were watchful in, in everything they do that if the Lord comes to go, yet they will occupy till he comes. It is not easy to get that balance. It's not very easy to get that balance. Okay, So if you turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and read from verse 21 to 25. Having a high priest over the house of God, okay, we have a high priest over the house, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 22 will say we have a high priest, he's done everything, he's given us the instruction. This is how you personally prepare yourself. There's a personal preparation where your conscience is clear. And then when it comes to verse 23, you have to hold fast the confession of a hope without wavering. What is our hope? What is our hope to the Philadelphia church? For if after they get this letter, what is their hope? He will keep us from this trial, either through death or through rapture. Death and rapture are both open doors. Both open doors. We need to understand 
death and rapture. We are only looking at rapture as open door. We are not looking at death as an open door. What about Methuselah? Did he go through the flood? No. How did he get out of the flood? By death. What about the rest of Noah's family, the whole line that is written over there where people are living to 800, 900, but some people are suddenly dying young because the flood is coming. For them to get into the boat is not an answer. For them, God's answer is they die before the flood comes. Okay, Unless we see it, that's what the Bible says, blessed are those who die now. Because their works will follow them. They are not part of those who will want to die and yet cannot die. Where even if they try to commit suicide, the rope will break. And what are we supposed to do? Let us consider one another in order. First, to stir up love and good works. That is the order. Works, faith that works through love. First to stir up love and then good works. And then we come to 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ours together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. And the simple question is, yesterday also we mentioned about it, and the simple question is, why is that people don't do that even when the opportunity is given? Because they do not actually deep in their heart believe the day is approaching. You can do everything. Another earthquake took place in Iran yesterday. Okay, earthquakes are happening, floods are happening, pestilence has been going on and it's varying and variant and variant. Wars are happening, all this. You had this blood moon all over the northern hemisphere. Everything, signs in heaven, signs or not, everything is happening. Yet, after hearing that, one thing practically you can do is to gather. Wherever there is an opportunity to gather, they can gather. And still people will not. Like, I, I always find it very strange that on a second Saturday, you don't see our families. The only child who comes is our, nobody, and Wesley's family. I mean, you think your children don't need to hear? Need to remember that this is the family of God who needs to come over there? That you need to say, everything is given free. <laughs> You need to look, realize, everything is there available for you. You don't have to cook. Oh, I know. You don't have to cook. Food is there. Word is there. Everything is there. And in two languages you will hear your own mother tongue. And yet people do not come. You know why people do not come? Because they don't believe the day is near. The day is near. And this is what God is talking about. People don't actually believe. And that's why he says, if you don't believe, that day will catch you unawares. It will absolutely catch you unawares. Because how will you not be caught unawares? Because whichever church, believing church, you are caught in, gather, 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 and encourage one another, encourage one another, stir up, you know, walk in love, forgive, forgive, don't do that, don't do that, don't walk in anger, don't be discouraged, don't be angry, because sad and mad is a terrible combination. Don't be, encourage yourself, encourage yourself, don't be angry, deal with, because you need to have a pure conscience. First, you need to have a pure conscience because your work should proceed from a pure conscience. So, deal. But you will not know if you separate yourself from the fellowship. I don't want to get mad with anybody. But then, that is not the way out. There is a practical way in the scripture God has given to a set of his people how to prepare for his coming. How to prepare for his coming. And we don't follow that path. Then, you know what? The day will catch you unawares. But if you follow that path, God will say, you know what? You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. I, I will take care of you. 
Okay, because we need to realize today the church that we see out in the world is full of strategies and formulas for uh, for church growth. All strategies and formulas and how to keep the church from not scattering. So game after game after game after game after then barbecues and all that is okay as part of fellowship. But fellowship is not what actually keeps you together. That comes out of the word. Out of the word. You know what has bound us together is that we have something that is very, very common. Our common faith and our common hope. Our common hope. Okay. And if you look into the world, they use all these strategies and formulas and ultimately what they boast about is their strength in terms of numbers, in terms of money. But to this church, he says, that's not how it is. He says, you know what? I am the way and I am the door and I am the one who opens that door. In John 10, 7, he says, he is the door of salvation. Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He is the door. That's why he has given them the door of faith to the, to the Gentiles. He is the door and he is the one who opens the door to witness for evangelism. He is the one who opens the door out of what you call it tribulation, either by death or by rapture when it happens. And then he is the one who opens the door for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Everywhere is the door. It is in our, it's not in our hands. All we can do is do what he tells us to do. If you come to verse 9, you have persecution. Okay. 3, 9. Yeah. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Okay. So you will see literally, literally, there is a synagogue of Satan. Okay. Synagogue is a gathering place. Okay. Now, wherever you see what's taking place, at the core of it, you will see there is always religion involved. Russia and Ukraine. So you have the Ukrainian Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox Church. Once upon a time, they were one. But when the war came in, uh, Zelensky has arrested all the Russian Orthodox Church Ukrainians, raided monasteries and churches because we don't trust your loyalty. So these are two orthodox people literally at the religious well fighting. Okay. Ukrainians and Russians both follow that orthodox tradition. Then here in the Middle East, you have the, the Muslims and the Jews fighting. And the Sunnis, the Shias are hoping the Sunnis will join with them. Okay. So you will see in the middle of it, there is literally how devil uses religion. Devil uses religion. And here what is happening is in this church, there is persecution. They are, and who are the ones who are persecuting them over there? Probably it is a set of Jews. See, the problem with the Jews is the Jews don't have uh, much problem with uh, Islam. If Islam does not claim Jerusalem and that land, they have no problems with it. You do whatever you want. 
they don't have problems with hindus they don't have problem with buddhists because they don't want anybody getting saved okay they have problem with islam only because islam has problem with them okay they have problems with christians because they claim jesus who is the jew is the messiah that is their problem and to understand where their problem so here you have jews and then you have every place it's the jewish converts who came and who preaches and they're preaching a new way so every place you read in the book of acts the persecution actually begins from the from the jews and now here jesus makes very powerful statements he says i will make those of the synagogue of satan who say they are jews and are not but lie they say they are jews but they are not they lie so we saw that earlier also romans 2:29 He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is from men and but from God. So you have here a church who is actually being praised by God. They're not being praised by men. God is praising them, and the reason God is praising them because their hearts are circumcised. Now, how do you know their hearts are circumcised? Because the result of the circumcision of the heart by the spirit is love. that we saw in Deuteronomy 36 he will circumcise our hearts so that we may love and this is a church named itself it really actually loves god and loves one another that fellowship wherever they are gathering so he says you know you are true jews they are not true jews they have praise from men but you have praise from god and when they say they are true jews it's a lie who's the one who's speaking the one who's speaking is the one who is true He says, they are speaking a lie about you, but I am speaking the truth about you, that you are true Jews and they are not. Okay, so we need to ask ourselves these things, okay. And when he says, indeed I will make them come and worship before your feet, we, we are not very sure. What exactly does that mean exactly that? Or we can only, like I said, we can only use scripture to basically understand this so if you go to psalm 37 and read from verses 1 to 11 okay do not fret because of evil doers nor be envious of the workers of iniquity for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb trust in the lord do good dwell in the land fear on his faithfulness delight yourself also in the lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart commit your way to the lord trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light your justice as the noonday so he's talking about david it's david's psalm okay david's psalm he is being attacked by everybody but god says this is what you need to do you shut your mouth don't go against those who are after you you just run a little faster than them and bless them what i shall do is that a day will come when i will vindicate you vindicate where even your enemies will declare you are righteous you are right he shall bring forth your righteousness as light and your this is what exactly what jesus did okay when he was scorned mocked reviled he didn't say a word instead he left it all to his father and ultimately the father vindicated him first only among the believers has he been vindicated by his resurrection he has not been vindicated about about among his enemies 
But on the day of judgment, he will be vindicated among his enemies. Right now, that's why Jesus never appeared to any unbeliever. He appeared only to those who believed. Okay, So he first vindicates himself to the believer, saying that you will go through that and don't give up. Don't worry about it. The day of vindication, another day is called the day of judgment. That's the day of vindication. Some of the things may happen here. And most of the things will not happen. People keep on asking me questions constantly. I want to know the truth of any situation. I said, you can never know the truth. You can never know the truth. We can only know truth partially. It is impossible for us to know the truth of anything, any incident, any event that we have gone through or somebody is going through. It is not possible to know. Only God knows. Because to get to know the truth about it, do you know how many parameters are there to know it? So we will not know. So we don't should not be in the pursuit about knowing truth that way. Knowing truth that and we we know that. Even medical science comes to an end of investigations. You now after some time doctor says all investigations are normal, but you're still sick. Okay, sick. And that is where it comes. Okay, so we need to realize that there is a God who says, I will vindicate you if you come further down. He will say, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger. Because when these things happen, what happens is people get angry. This is the reason. He says, you know what? Almost 99% of the evils of this life, there will be no vindication here. No Even if you're vindicated by the courts, you will not be vindicated by public opinion. Okay? Public opinion. Okay? Let us say 2016. Yeah, that's when Trump won, right? But for years they went on saying he was illegitimate. Though he was, every mainstream media anchor was saying he's illegitimate, illegitimate, illegitimate. But on the other hand, in 2020, when Biden won, they said he's legitimate, he's legitimate, he's legitimate. Okay. So if you're looking for vindication, it's not going to happen in this life. And sometimes we should be very careful because Bible says, cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. It causes harm. One, it causes harm to yourself. And because you went, you cause harm to others because often anger will be misdirected. This morning when I was in the kitchen, I was listening to, listening to 30 minute, not a sermon, exhortation, where he talks about a young man. What happened was he was a young man and he was working as a waiter. And when he was working as a waiter, he had all these desires to do well in life, everything. But he started his life as a waiter and in a high fancy restaurant. And when he was serving, huh? yeah, that bottle fell and uh, fell and he was mocked by the guests over there and his manager fires him. Okay, and he fires him. From there, he was angry. He was angry because it was not his mistake, actually. Okay, he was very angry. And then his whole idea in life is to be, to be rich. Okay, sometimes because you are humiliated, you need to realize that's why we always have to check our motives. Why do you do what you do? Is it anger? 
Were you slighted? Do you want to prove yourself to somebody? The question is, even if you prove yourself to somebody in this life, that is still not proving anything because you have to be proven before God on that day. That is what is called eternal judgment. And everybody is trying for temporal judgment to prove themselves successful in the eyes of people. Ultimately, he becomes rich and rich and rich and rich and rich and rich and his parents said, son, um, believe. And he kept on postponing it, postponing. But then the day of his death came and it was too late. Too late. Because he was, his entire life, a lot of people in life, that is why we talk about healing. We talk about inner healing because a lot of people do not know. They are framed by incidents that took place in their life. And they cover up it up nicely and they are pushing forward this thing, this for success. And what moves them, pushes them is basically that something happened. And God says, no, I'm giving you, a, I'm giving you a completely new beginning. Nothing of your past should be the reason what you are doing now. The only reason you are doing now is because for the king, his kingdom, his will and his name. Okay. Otherwise, it can be it can be so disastrous on the day of judgment, because we will realize all our works are burned up, burned up. So it can be anger, it can be humiliation, all these things. That's why the Bible says, "Don't, don't, don't." He says, "Don't cease from anger, forsake wrath, don't fret. It will cause harm, and sometimes it causes us eternal harm, eternal harm." And then when it comes to nine and ten. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of the peace. And this is the most important part. This is the most important part, is that the meek are never looking for justice in this life for themselves. They are never trying to vindicate themselves because they have understood from Jesus. He never tried for justice for himself and he never tried vindication for himself. He did, he did it for others, but he did not for himself. And this is the key. And this is the church. He will say, you don't worry. I know what they are talking about you in this city. I know what they talk about you. Okay, you have very little strength. And the reason you have only a little strength is because of your enemies. Like they say, you know, make you bleed with a thousand cuts. Anybody comes into your church, what happens? This member from the synagogue of Satan will come and pull him off. He will say something and pull him off. Okay? And they are always watching you. And they are always after you. So you know what? You have very little strength. They have messed up your name. But the thing is that you have remained faithful to me. He says, you don't worry about that. He says, my praise is, your praise is from me. They are saying you are not true at all. But I am saying you are true. You are true. Okay. And this is where it comes. Okay. So, if you go back to Revelation chapter 3. Okay. And verse 8. See. I know your works. That's why he doesn't talk about their works at all. I know your works. And ultimately, that's the only thing that matters. First is that he should know me. I do not know you. That is terrible. No, I know you. That is fine. Thank you, Lord. Second, he should know our works. Okay. He should know our works. And then he says, I have set before you an open door. 
and no one can shut it. And we need to be very, very sure that that he's opened a door for us. Okay, because the door that he opens, you realize is the door only he can open because of the nature of that door. You cannot open that door. If you can open that door, then you don't have to say, he set an open door for me. No, it is he who opened that door. It is impossible for man to open that door. He says, for you have a little strength. You have a little strength. Okay. Now, if you want to look at it, look at its, its uh, application in the lives of people. If you look at it, David, okay, you look at David. If you go to First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13. 16, 13. Then Micah 5, 2. Okay. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Okay. So if you come there, when David is picked, he is, he has very little strength in the eyes of his family. His father did not even call him. And his mother did not even remind the father to call him. So he has very little strength in his own home. Okay. Then if you come to Micah 5.2. Okay. Micah 5.2. Okay. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among thousands of Judah. On top of that, he comes from one of the least. If David was not born in Bethlehem and subsequently Jesus in Bethlehem, we wouldn't know Bethlehem. Now, many of the places in Israel and all we are getting to here because of the rocket strikes. Otherwise, we don't know these places. Ashkelon, Ashton, who knows these places? But everybody knows Bethlehem. But everybody knows Bethlehem only because first David was born there and then Jesus comes from that line. But if David was not born there, nobody would be bothered about Bethlehem. So in his time, though Judah is a very powerful tribe settled over there, Bethlehem is the little one. Lee, small little hamlet, village. So he's from Bethlehem, little. And his family is a little family. And he's a little one in that family. Okay? Little one in that family. But God was with him all the way. So when you come to Second Samuel chapter 2 and verse 4. 2 and verse 4. 2 verse 4. Then the men of Judah came. And there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Okay, so he had to wait for God's time. And he had very little strength. And if you look at him, he kept God's word. He did not deny his name. Okay, and all the people who gathered around him were little men. The despised, the one in debt, the discouraged. These 3D characters gathered around him. Okay, so he had very little name. But he waited. And he had a promise and he remained faithful. And what happens is one day he becomes king. And when you come to Second Samuel chapter 5 and 3. Okay, 5 and 3. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David. Now they anointed David king over all Israel. Okay, so this is, this is, this is the, this is the way. But through it all, if you have noticed about, through about David, through it all, David remained small. And everywhere, any time in his point when he tried to become a little big, God brought him down. Okay? So you have these pictures, like, you no, know, people like Moses, okay? 
God had to work 40 years with Moses to make him little, where he had very little strength left. Okay, and then God could use him. Okay, and that's sometimes what happens. Okay, the call over you is genuine. Call over you is genuine, but the problem is you're too strong in yourself. And this God waits, God waits. But when we come to the last days, we have to be very, very careful that we do not have the luxury of time on our side. If you come to Judges chapter 6 and verse 11, okay, and then from 14 to 16. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Orpha, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from Midianite. So that is the starting point. So, see, this is what we need to understand. We are not talking about being saved. We are talking about being used. Salvation is one thing, being used is one thing. If you do not have little strength, God cannot use you. That means you have no faith at all. You have no faith at all. So if the, the widow at Zarephath has to be fed through the famine. She has to have a little in her hand. The question is, what is she going to do with the little? Will you trust God or not? If she says there is no bread and there is no oil, then a different kind of creative miracle has to take place. But that's not what is going to happen here. The creative miracle is salvation. We are not about salvation. We are not talking about salvation here at all. We are talking about whether God can use you, whether he can open a door for you which no man can shut. For that, you should need to have even, you should have a little strength. The widow in Elisha's case also, she needs to have a little oil. If she has no oil, then a creative miracle is needed. So here is all the Israelites, and there is, and everybody gives up when the Midianites come, and they take it go. But here is a man with a little strength. He's hiding in a uh, wine press, and that is where the angel comes. And when the angel comes in chapter fourteen, verse fourteen, this is what he says: The Lord turned to him and said, "Go in this might of yours." Got a little strength. Got a little strength. And the little strength you have used to preserve your harvest from the enemy. Okay? The little strength which you have, you have not given it into the hands of the enemy. The little faith you and I have, we have not given it to the world. The little wisdom God has given us, we did not use it for the world. The little resources which you have, you did not invest it to grow in the world. The little, you kept it from my adversaries. Because the ruler of this world is after the little which you and I have. Because God says, but you kept it away from him. Therefore, I see it and he says, you know what, I'm going to keep an open door for you. Go in that little strength and deliver Israel. You shall save. And his response is again the same. He says, O Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. And God says, that's exactly why I chose you. Because though you are little, okay, you still have little strength. Those who are big have no faith at all. They have no faith at all where I can use. Your faith is interesting because you have faith despite the fact you are little. See, this is where Samuel went wrong. He's looking at Eliab and surely this is the Lord's 
anointed because they're six feet tall and all smart. They say, surely Shama, surely Abinata. He's very sure about these three things, people. But God says, no. And then David comes. David comes. Because this is, this is what in Corinthians God says, he has not picked these people. He has not picked these people. He says, very rarely does he pick people like that. He is looking for one, people who are naturally, circumstantially born or made little, but they have little strength. They don't give up their faith. They hang on in the midst of the Mennonite surrounding. They will still hold on to their faith. Hold on to their faith. And then say, surely, why will you win? Surely, you go with this little strength, but I will be with you and you shall defy the Midianites as one man. So it is the same everywhere. He was. This is what we talk about, the consistency of scripture. Whether God is talking to Moses, whether he is using Jonathan or David or Gideon or the church in Philadelphia, whole church. He says, you have very little strength. You have very, very little strength, but you have kept my name. You have not denied. And he says, you know what? Ultimately, I will vindicate you. In David's case, you will see that God vindicated him. Vindicated him above all his enemies. Those who were fighting him once, now are coming and making peace. And not only making peace, they crown him as king. They crown him as king. So, God is telling us over here, because we have to, because... The basic problem is to get people to think that death is not defeat. Death is not defeat. And the Bible tells us over and over and over and over and over and says, death is not defeat. For my children, death is not defeat. Death is defeat only if you die without finishing your race. But death is not defeat. Death is victory. It is victory. Okay, because people are still caught in the way. I'm not saying therefore you should just die. But your perspective of death has to change. Okay, because if the problem is, if your perspective of death does not change, I will tell you unconsciously what you will love is life. And you will never be able to overcome. Because they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. The because unconsciously you rule yourself out from the list of overcomers. Okay, and when if you look at Gideon, once he has stepped forward, and then God brings through a process, and then when he thinks he's ready, thirty-two thousand gather. And again, God comes, has to work the whole thing over again, says, you're still too big. Too big. Cut down to 22. He says, still too big. Cut down to 300. 300. Again, made small. Just 300. And then he says, now go, you will win. Again, what has a support? I, I still haven't figured out how they did it, because actually they had three things. Okay, you can strap your sword on your side. I understand that. They had a trumpet which was on the right hand, if I'm right, and the pitcher and the flame. How did they manage it? I do not know. They had to be really, really good that they had to hold the torch like this and with their thumb the pitcher and hold it 
and blow it and break it. Okay. I, I go through it and because they don't break the pitcher first. They blow the trumpet first. Okay. So even if the trumpet was hanging around the neck to blow it, you still have to use one hand. I was trying to figure out, okay, so God is saying that even in the way you will win, the way you will do it is my way, not your way. You will do it my way. Therefore, you will know I am in this battle. Okay. So if you come to verse 10, back to 3.10. Because... Okay, and then the third thing he tells about that. Because you kept my command. It's a command. Okay? Command to persevere. Patience, endurance, perseverance. Different translations will use these different words, but it doesn't matter. It, it Here, it basically means the same. You have obeyed my command. What is that? It is not enough that we keep his word, hallow his name, be a witness, love one another. We have to keep it till the end. Keep it till the end. That is so difficult. It is not enough that you love your spouse the first seven days of your marriage. The problem is keep loving till the end. We have to use human examples so that we understand eternal things. Okay. The question is not that the first year after you got baptized, you came 52 Sundays to church. The question is, will you keep on going to church all the days of your life? And even when you are on vacation or somewhere, would you search for a church and still go, knowing that this is the universal body of Christ? Will you endure is the question. Will you endure? And will you endure when the going gets tough? In Matthew 24, 13, God lists a whole set of external and internal. 24, 13. Matthew 24, 13. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And external, we are already seeing famine is coming. Okay, The result of pestilence and war is ultimately famine. Famine is on the way. It is coming. Inflation will go up the roof. Inflation will go up the roof. Okay. So, and things are going to, it will get, okay. Only thing we, we think is that one, we deal with uh, death spiritually and second, we still cry out for mercy. Cry out for mercy, Lord. Give time to your people to get ready. So, internal and external. At the external level, you have famines and earthquakes and wars and deaths and all this taking place. And in the internal, you will look, there is betrayal going on left, right and center in homes. And in homes, that's the most painful. Where father will betray son, son will betray father, daughter will betray mother. That is painful. So, externally and internally, it is going to happen. And it is happening. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 13, okay, you will be hated by all for the, my name's sake, for he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now let me, let, let us be honest about it. The thing is that everybody wants to be loved. And it's a genuine, natural desire. But God says that's not how it's going to happen. How it's going to happen. Everybody on the other hand is going to hate you. And the reason they will hate you because corresponding something else is happening in the system. People are becoming lovers of themselves. 
when people become lovers of themselves what happens is they will look you at you as a hindrance as a hindrance okay they're not going to love you and that can happen in a family and we see what happens in jacob's family okay they're all lovers of themselves even jacob has a little love for himself but so when the son comes and tells a second dream he also gets upset he also gets are we also going to bow before you also get upset okay so he says but he didn't hate him but his brothers all hated him so he says you know what you are going to be hated so you're going to go through all kinds of situations the question is when this happens the question is will you endure i am telling you it's so practical for me because every day i get calls and mails concerning this sense of what is happening is so nothing is happening what is happening is what scripture said would happen so the question is will you stay because ultimate test of loyalty is that through it all will you remain loyal to christ will you remain cora do you prescribe to the doctrine of job or do you prescribe the doctrine of mrs job is a question and the fact is that that was satan's doctrine he says you know what people love you and they praise you and they worship you all because god is good all the time all the time god is good let god be bad and let's see if they can praise you let them be and god says you can try it and job praised god but his wife stopped praising it's no more anymore she stopped praising and that's how the entire book of habakkuk is written because in the entire narrative of habakkuk what is happening is god is not good Israel is not experiencing anything good. Express experience the terrible hand of God. So what Israel does is that he says, but one man decides that I will believe that you know what even when bad and terrible and things are happening, he cannot change. This is the test of your faith. He doesn't change. And this is what he deserves. If he is truly God, and all that is said my response in every situation is that i thank him i praise him i worship him and when he does that the whole narrative changes that's how the book of habakkuk changes so god talks about external national social family and you've come to luke 21 verse 19 and then 36 19 by your patience possess your souls and when it comes to 36 he says this watch therefore and pray always now this is what he says that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the son of man the simple question he gave us this thing you be you may be counted worthy the thing is that how can i be counted worthy the only possibility is that go to the church of philadelphia who have a similar promise and see why were they counted worthy first thing he says i see your works and nothing is listed nothing is listed then he looked study deeply you will realize he says you know what i see your what your works your works are born of faith and outworks in love you are a very loving church you will really truly love one another you have true fellowship true fellowship is not that you don't have problems true fellowship is that you learn to forgive one another in the midst of your problems and continue your fellowship and don't don't what you call detach yourself from fellowship that is what we were talking about the church in the book of acts they gathered daily the question is how can you gather daily if you do not love one another can you get gather daily 
cannot gather daily. It's not possible. It's not possible. Okay. So that's what God is talking about here. So endure is a command. And not only that, you need to realize all these things have to be in increasing measure. Please understand many of the things which God is talking about. Like we saw a couple of weeks back from Second Peter, right? Add to your faith these, 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 these things. Okay? Add these, these things. And in increasing measure. In Second Peter 1.8, if you look at Second Peter 1.8, it says, These things should abound. This should abound. If these things are yours, and abound. This is the difference. Understand, there are two things in the kingdom of God, in the new covenant. One are the gifts. The other is the fruit. When it comes to gift, you don't abound. You become better and better in using that gift. It's like in the world. You you are a singer. You have a talent. Then through great practice and practice and practice or a keyboard, you become better and better and better and better and better in exercising the gift. The gift remains the same. Fruit doesn't work that way. Fruit you have to increase. Fruit you have to increase. So it is not enough that you have love. It's not enough that you have love. Your love should increase. The love should increase is that the circle is so wide where you are actually at the end able to love your enemies. Okay. So you need to understand how God is talking about. God is talking about. Okay. He says, he says, that's why people confuse gift and fruit. Gift, he gives you the gift of tongues. The more you exercise, the more you exercise, it becomes more, you become very efficient. Your language may increase. You are able to exercise it any time of the day when you are sleeping. It's only efficiency. Like you learn to drive. And the more you drive, the more you drive, drive in all kinds of traffic, you become, and I don't, so I panic. Anybody driving me, I start palpitating, because they are doing all kind of things, and I'm, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, okay? Because the only thing I can drive confidently is my gearless scooter. And I don't panic at all. I never had an attack, uh, accident. But this is what God is talking about, okay? But this one, what you call it, fruit doesn't work that way. This is what we need to understand when it comes to rewards. When it comes to reward. Okay, when it comes to reward. It is fruit that matters. And if you look at this, if you look at the list in Galatians about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's a whole list given. It's not an exhaustive list because you can bring other things from other parts of scripture. But it always begins with love. Always. The fruit of the Spirit is love. From there flows everything. Because if you don't have love, I can tell you, guarantee you, none of these things will happen. There will be no joy, there will be no peace, there will be no long-suffering, there will be no kindness. Be, meaning consistently. Because even the carnal man in the world can on and off show all these things. But he cannot be consistent. And when going gets tough, we have no endurance at all. So he's talking about, he, because you remember the warning of Jesus Christ, iniquity, lawlessness shall abound. And what happens is the love of many shall grow cold. And don't worry about Hamas. It's not talking about Hamas. It's talking about home. We always think it is talking about Hamas. When lawlessness abound, what is the result of lawlessness? It is violence and loss. 
That is what lawlessness actually does, violence and laws. So there is lawlessness in the land called Uz because God just lifted his hand for a moment. And when he lifted his hand, there is lawlessness. Job is losing everything. And when Job lost everything, nothing changed for his love for God. But the love for God of his wife went cold. Went cold. So that is what God is talking about. We are living in times like that. And God says, when all these things happen, what happens to your love? Do you still love me? Or do you love me only under certain conditions? So he says, because you have obeyed my command to endure, command to endure, he says, I will keep you. Okay, last few verses and then we shall close. If you turn with me to John chapter 6 and verse 66. John's gospel is so completely different from the other three. Okay, and we see what will happen. In John chapter 3, 666, what we see is that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Okay, why? Because they didn't like his doctrine anymore. Okay, didn't like, didn't like the doctrine. So they left they couldn't endure. If you know chapter 7, now he's having issue with his family. His brothers don't want to walk with him anymore. By the time you come to chapter 13, we are coming to the close of Jesus' ministry in chapter 31, John 13, 31. So when he had gone out, now who is gone? Judas is also gone. So now only 11 have are left who endured. Understand, only 11 is left to have endured his entire ministry. Only 11 are left who has endured. Now you read from verse 33 to 35. 13, 33. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. Now he is opening himself and talking. We read from 33 onwards and all the way and we preach about it also. But the fact of fact of the matter is it is still not true for us because we have not endured like the leaven did. So he calls them little children. I shall be with you a little while longer. You seek me and I said to the Jews, I said to the Jews, okay, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you and to them who endured, endured. To them who endured till and everybody left this level endured. To them he says, a new commandment I give you. Okay? Now I'm going to tell you this. Jesus is telling. You have endured in your love for me. You have remained faithful. And I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Once I'm gone, don't stop loving one another the way you loved me. Stay together. That's why it is written, on the day of his resurrection, for the fear of the Jews, they were there gathered together. That is how they begin by obeying his commandment. They stay together. In extraordinary circumstances, when they should be scattered, they were gathered. So they had endured. Okay, And then, if you come to verse 35, yeah, um, yeah, he says, by this all will know that you are my disciples. What? How will they know this kind of love? Okay. And then, if you go to chapter 14, to them he is saying, okay, now you need, let your heart be, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you i go to prepare a place for you if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you to myself did you get something there what he is saying and what he said in 1333 read again 1333 john 1333 john the one we read earlier little children I shall be with you a little while longer you will seek me and I said to the Jews where I am going you cannot come they cannot come I told them where I am going you cannot come now he is telling where I am going you can come to those who endured honestly he says I am going to make a place for you and not only that you will come I will come to take you I will come to take you okay so this is how we read and we understand what is he trying to tell to the church in philadelphia these these commands which he gave to this leaven was only this what we learn is the the most most intensive teaching of jesus christ which begins from john chapter 13 uh um 32 two onwards say so that's okay we don't have to go there 13 32 onwards and goes all the way till 17 and to the high it is words spoken to a set of people who endured endured set of people who endured okay so all these promises though they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus we practically will not experience unless we endure you will not and god says you know when when like we say in english but it's connected with the world when the going gets tough the tough gets going okay but sometimes the tough don't get going they just stand and wait for the deliverance of the lord okay so we have to be very very careful when we read these letters to smyrna he also expects the same thing in a different way i want you to be faithful i want you to end your till your death don't give up and to this people he says you know what you're not going to die and even if you die for you a death won't be like the death of smyrna when we death like smyrna for you death will be an escape open door for you or you will be there when i come or i will take you out i'll take you out okay this is how we look through this is how we encourage one another in Thessalonians Paul will say encourage one another using these things words when these things happen when what we seeing in the world happening we have to be very careful about our response to it but honestly i'm telling you often we don't have that hope that hope we have many hopes in Christ we don't have that hope because we minor in what is major in God's kingdom we struggle with love we struggle with love and because we struggle with love that thing that empowers everything in the kingdom of god doesn't strengthen us okay so we shall have peter and we shall pray and all these things happen please remember cannot be pragmatic in this age we have to give ourselves wholly to the lord absolutely wholly to the lord
that is our witness then he will say i know your works can i have peter not nepali okay sami english we need to understand the church is sometimes caught in the same situation israel was in the book of exodus it begins by saying there was a pharaoh who did not know joseph and then he made israel serve with rigor that is when israel started thinking about the promised land and all around the world literally literally we have pharaohs who rule who do not know jesus they don't care about jesus sometimes when we pray for trump it's because we want a president who knows jesus but sometimes we do not know what god's answer is because yes. we get too comfortable in this world we will not think about heaven we start investing in the same things the people of the world invested like lot did in wealth in name in security and then god pulls the rug from under our feet everything goes then we will start looking up and say maranatha come lord jesus but says that should never have been the real reason because through the ages he always had a set of people even in the best of times were crying lord come quickly because all our desire is to be with you and if we stay back it's only for the sake of your kingdom the work Abraham lived with Isaac and Jacob in tents as a sojourner in the promised land these lessons don't change every day he speaks to us the same thing even this morning yes 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 don't look back one command lord's family was given don't look back it's telling us the same thing don't look back don't look around don't look down look up for our redemption comes from above look up look up father this morning we come to you lord we just thank you we thank you you saved us we thank you you gave us a commission thank you this gospel shall be preached as a witness to the ends of the earth thank you thank you lord but father even as we do all this help our hearts not to be attached to anything that is in this world but to you and to your people alone nothing else lord god first and your people next nothing else touch lord touch today father touch strengthen your people help us to truly examine ourselves and ask the question why do i do what i do is it because of christ is it because of his people 
am I any different than the ones in the world? Because he's drawing. His, his second coming draws nearer and nearer by the moment. And he himself says over and over again, he who endures till the end shall be saved. Ace needs endurance. RG needs endurance. Brad needs endurance. Cherian needs endurance. All of them are at that point where they can actually quit and walk away. But they cannot walk away. Jesus. Because it's about you and your kingdom. Jesus. Lynn can walk away. Penny can walk away. Marshall can walk away. All of them can walk away. Immediately, they will have quiet in their lives. The adversaries will stop chasing them. Like David said, if I go on like this, Saul will take me. So let me go into the Philistines camp. And it worked. His adversaries stopped chasing him. And it will work if any one of these including us, decide I'll walk away and go to the other camp. But it's a false peace, a false security. Then sudden destruction will come. There are many in the church who have sought the ways of the world. And they have peace. They have security. But it is false peace and false security. It is false. There's nothing true about it. The warning is sudden destruction will come. So I pray, Father, even this morning, that there be a quickening in the hearts of your children. That there be a rededication. My times and my days are in your hands. I remember, like Isaac, I was bound to the altar once. And I'm still bound there. My life is in your hands. Life is in you your are hands. free yes. to use me as you fit. Yes. Seize fit. Yes, my God. Anywhere, whichever manner. Yes, my God. I am not mine own. Yes, my God. Bought at a price. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray all the dear ones, even Judge Sharon. Yes, Lord. Reverend Love, 100 plus. Aunt Julia, over a hundred. Yes, yes. Every one of them. Please, Lord. Any, many of them want to go. Yes, Lord. But we don't decide when we go. You decide when we go. Touch them, Lord. Touch them. Have mercy, Father. So touch, Lord, everyone. Touch. Touch us. Touch us, Lord. That we never, never quit. No, Lord. Only eleven remain at the end of his Awesome three and a half years ministries. Tens and thousands had come to eat, to be healed, to be delivered, to listen. But when the teaching got tougher and tougher, at the end only eleven were left. And to them he said, Let your hearts not be troubled. For I am going to my father, your father, to build a, prepare a place for you. 
you are sticking with me till the end it's not loss for you it is eternal gain Touch, comfort kids, wife, children. Wherever they are, comfort them. Comfort his church. Protect the others, Lord. Many are the adversaries. Many, many are the adversaries. Jesus have mercy. And they seek daily to, to kill, to destroy. To steal daily, Lord, relentlessly, never quitting. But Lord, we believe we shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. We will never, none of them, none of us will die before our time. We will die only at your appointed time after we have finished what you have called each one of us to do. Thank you, Lord. Not before. Thank you, Lord. Thank so you, Lord. empower them, encourage them, anoint them afresh this night, this morning. Thank you, Lord. When the enemy comes in like a flood, we raise up the standard. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. We proclaim the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood against the enemy. We plead the blood, the blood over your people everywhere, Lord. The blood, the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And we trample down on serpents and scorpions. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. The church is victorious. We stand on your word. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Thank you, Lord. Touch, Father. Touch, touch, touch. Let God arise. God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. We plead the blood of Jesus over every place where we gather here. Yes, Lord. Church, everywhere. Yes, Jesus, every place. Blood, the blood, the blood. Every place we plead the blood, the blood, the blood. We rebuke the powers of darkness. Yes, the Lord. wicked that come will stumble and fall, oh Father. Yes, Lord. I pray there will be a quickening in the hearts and the spirits of your people. An yes, opening Lord. of eyes, O oh Lord, that they may be able to behold the glory of the coming King, O oh Father. And they would lose all interest in what this world has to offer, O oh Father. There's no comparison, Lord, to the kingdom that is coming. That's we just coming. thank you, Father. Thank you, we Lord. just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Once again, we come in this day into the hands. Yes, this Lord. week into the hands. Yes, Lord. Go with us, go before us. Yes, Lord. And once more, we stand here and declare, Thine is the kingdom, kingdom the power, power and, and the, glory. the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.